bloody cheap. Oh, hello, 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 gang. <laughs> oh, George, I knew that you'd come. I, I knew that you couldn't just throw me aside like an old used glove. I knew that very well. <laughs> you see, it's because I have a basic faith in mankind. <laughs> That's the... Uh, I have a basic reality in the eventual truth of the eternal verities that all of us live by, right? <laughs> well, we certainly do, don't we? Uh, I say a penny saved is a penny earned. That's what I always say. I've, it took me a long time to come to that conclusion, but uh, I know it's going to make a lot of people mad, but I say that. I, and I also say, uh, look before you leap. I, I, I say that all the time. People get damn tired of hearing me saying that, but I say it all the time. I say, look before you leave. Let me say this penny here. <laughs> Hello there. This is old Uncle Wiggly here. And uh, you sit on my knee, and uh, I'll tell you a few stories. One thing I would like to warn you is that the following program is not for women and children. Uh, tonight, I thought perhaps it might be worthwhile to expose Winnie the Pooh for what Winnie really is. You know, this is a very uh, lightly disguised track for her. Well, uh, get right down to the nitty-gritty here in just a few minutes, but uh, thought we'd warn you that, uh, that uh, 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 make sure that you're... <laughs> uh, George, I can't remember. It slipped my mind, but uh, I was right on the tip of my tongue. Right on the tip. I'll, I'll remember. Shoddy piece of gold. Oh, hi there. Good to see you, gang. Of course, it's a inbuilt failure. Uh, what they call the inbuilt failure factor. It's a good word, factor. It's uh, you know, it's like the Mets. Uh, there's a lot of talk that the reason the Mets lose ball games is because they have an inbuilt failure factor, which is to say that. Part of every ball game that is played is played with as part of the equation of the ball game. Let's say A is playing B. Uh, ostensibly, it should be a clear-cut equation where A plays B. A swings at ball. B attempts to catch ball. Then B swings at ball, and A attempts to catch the ball. Uh, however, there is such a thing as the inbuilt failure factor. Uh, have, have any of you ever heard of the random factor of the theory of mathematics, the random factor? You know what is it, the random factor? Well, uh, bringing it down from a technical phraseology, the random factor means bad scene. You know? I mean, you, you, you spend 400 hours, man hours, putting together this fantastic structure of uh, ideology, psychology, physiology. You, you know, you work like mad building this thing up. It's all set to go, and then you blow a fuse. Everyone sits around. Failure is what I'm talking about, friends. Failure. The American way of life has no place for failure. And I say to you, as I look out there through the darkness, you look me right. Come on, don't chicken out. You look me right in the voice coil. You look right here where I am. Look right at your radio and say to yourself, and say to me, with a smile on your face, I am not a failure. Okay? Feels better, doesn't it? <laughs> if you please, Roger, please. If you please. 
Oh, oh, I was walking through the park one day in the merry, merry month of May when I was taken by surprise by a pair of roguish eyes while I was walking through the park one day, Rasmus. Oh, you ain't no failure, are you, Dad? Oh, life can be one long, one long, long song. I was walking through the park one day, in the merry, merry month of May, when I was taken by surprise by a pair of roguish eyes while I was walking through the park. One thing, I said, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Now, you reset that, Roger. We're going to use that once in a while to brace that backbone of the average walking around, scratching, spitting man who carries failures around him, festooned over him like ancient grapes of an old, old vintage season. You know, you sit there in the bus and you see these people get in and sit down or you watch guys jump out of cabs and they're carrying these thin leather attache cases. They've got this silver hair and that $400 suit. And they're playing it big. And yet, yet, mankind is slowly beginning to concede that the random factor, the failure factor, is an important part of existence. For example, are you aware now, uh, speaking of uh, the random failure factor, we have a little note here from the silly section of the New York Times. That's the section in the last part of the paper where the real stuff is happening. You know, I, you, can read, you can read the New York Times all you want. Hour after hour, read the editorial page. You get nothing but all these platitudes, you know, that we should think good, we should love each other, and all that. <laughs> nothing to do with the way it really is, you know, the fist-fight, nitty-gritty world. And it's only when you get way back in the back part of the page, you know, uh, you know where it says the surplus values that are available, the stuff you can buy, the silly section on the weekend section of the Times. For example, do you know that on the recent one, you could have bought yourself, by mail, you could have bought yourself some uh, surplus 88-millimeter mortars that make uh, souvenirs. It's just for the collector. Well, it's also kind of fun to lob a few mortar shells over to the next apartment house to see, you know, how action is going. And, and among other things I found here, would you please uh, sneak that in behind me again, once again? Uh, you can now buy a new radio. New radio is now for sale. It says something about us here. It says, the new gramophone radio. Uh, we quote, with the Winchester Cathedral sound, this authentically styled gramophone reproduces the sound and the mood of the early 1900s. That means it's got a very bad loudspeaker in it. What it means is it sounds like it's coming through its nose, you You pay extra to get a bad speaker now. And that's very, it's just a complete, it's just imported, of course. Don't blame us. But now, that's an important thought, though, when you think about it, to buy a radio that has a 1900 sound. Now, I'm not so sure how that would work on a rock and roll station. You get a 1900 sound out of the radio loudspeaker. But uh, we've come full circle. You know, I, I uh, found out the other day that you have to pay extra to get a gear shift now in your car. And uh, you do. That's a new accessory. That's called a stick shift. 
Uh, it's called the on-the-floor stick shift for sport car drivers. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you pay extra for it, you know. At the, and uh, next year, I predict, maybe the year after that, uh, you're going to have to pay extra to get window knobs on your windows, you see, that'll do away with that uh, that automatic window race. Do you know, I ever tell you about the guy that caught us his... Uh, you know the old joke about uh, grandmothers down in the basement getting caught in the ringer? Did you ever hear, you know, the whole thing about the... Well, did I ever tell you about the guy that, that uh, got his wife caught in the automatic windows? I actually know a guy who waited till his wife was right in the right position and he pressed the automatic window thing on his Buick Electra and caught her. And there was a hell of a lawsuit. You know, speaking of, uh, of lawsuits, uh, uh, England, of course, is a, is a great mystery to many of us. Uh, I, I, uh, I spent some time in England. I, uh, and, of course, we're a great mystery to the English. Uh, I must point out something to you. It's, it's a two-way street. And uh, wherever you go in England... You'll read in the paper a correspondence report on life in America. This is a this is a almost any copy of any English newspaper has a long article exposing the shallowness of American life uh, <laughs> by a guy who's been over a good full two weeks. He's really he's really absorbed seven, eight, nine days most of the time, and he's really absorbed it all. And he's got all every cliche in the book. They come rattling out. It's it. Uh, I'll tell you why it is. It is is a very comforting article uh, to most Englishmen. Uh, any article that you read that says, in effect, that the other guys aren't making is comforting to you. That the other guys are falling on their you know what. It's very comforting, and so uh, you'll find now today in American periodicals you will find quite the opposite. You will find practically every third or fourth issue of any given newspaper or magazine has a long involved piece about swinging London, about how life is unbelievably great in England. Well, that comes as a surprise to most Englishmen. <laughs> I mean, it really does, who read this jazz, and uh, they keep wanting to know where it's happening. You know, there's some poor little guy living way over near Shepherd's Bush someplace, you know, and he keeps reading about the the in places and the in spots and the in people and the in things and and the the real nitty gritty England though you don't hear much about. For example, there's a little note here: Englishmen are very brave people, and that we would like to salute an Englishman tonight. That's very good. As far as the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals knows. The Englishman who did a fantastic uh, piece of brave action the other day is the first human being anywhere to do this. A woman, Mary Mitchell, applied mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, or is that resuscitation, to her goldfish, who had flopped out of her goldfish bowl and for all intents and purposes was dead. She went down on all fours and for a half an hour applied mouth-to-mouth resuscitation methods and brought the poor goldfish, whose name was Fred, uh, back to life. And now he's swimming around and uh, making the scene again. And so tonight we salute that Englishman, that lady type. That's very good. Fish opened one eye, then the other, and went back into business. Now, it's this sort of thing that gives a country a bad name. It, it really is. Uh, now, now, the, the uh, Englishman, for example, 
have an idea that Americans have things on dogs. They do. However, I must, uh, uh, for, uh, in the case of honest reportage, uh, give you a little note here. We have a note from, uh, from London. A wife has been awarded custody of a cocker spaniel, and dog visitation rights have been granted to her husband in a divorce case. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. George H. Clark have been childless, of course, and the judge ruled that Mr. Clark could visit the dog, Pepper, at reasonable times and must provide the animal with blankets and collar. Mrs. Clark must buy the dog license. And the two of them are going to sit there in the living room. I can just see this as a play by Terence Radigan. And the two of them are sitting in the living room, a typical English living, you know, what, do, they, do, they, do they call it the sitting parlor in England? What's it called in England, the room where people sit very stiff? The drawing room? No, not in a little flat in Chelsea. It is not the drawing room. Uh, the lounge. Uh, they're sitting in the lounge, and the geezer is, uh, heating, up the, is heating up the uh, evening's hot water for the evening shower, and the pipes are banging, and they're both sitting there very stiffly and not talking to one another, and in the middle is poor little Pepper torn between the two of them. Uh, life among the proles. And uh, I, I uh, you know, the, the problem of failure, the problem of failure. Speaking of failures, do you have a commercial in there for me? Uh, no, 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 the other one. No, no, the other one. The other one. Uh, speaking of that, uh, you know, mankind, for, uh, for probably since time immemorial, friends, has been looking for a way out. He's been uh, looking for ways that he can get bombed, he can get sculled. Uh, from the very earliest of days, I, I, I'm often wondered about this, uh, when the when something that we take for granted in our daily life, when it actually first happened, the first moment. For example, there must have been the first joke told. That the concept of a joke had never ever occurred to the simple beasts of the field. That uh, I've never thought. Uh, I, I doubt whether giraffes uh, standing there, giraffing whatever it is they do. A giraffe turns to another giraffe and says, Hey, Fred, uh, there were two zebras, see? <laughs> it's the first giraffe, for sure. No, they don't do that. I think one of the things that sets man apart is the fact that he does tell jokes. He tells, for example, Polish jokes. Uh, and there must have been the very first time when Og and Charlie crawled out of the muck and out of the mire of that uh, ancient primordial lake from whence sprang all of us. God knows it was a long time ago. And yet, historically speaking, a, a, a mere wink of Buddha's eyelash. God knows it was a long time ago for us, though. And in fact, uh, in those days, they hadn't even invented what we call today the sky. It was nothing but grayness. and There were no trees, really, as we call them, trees. Now, everything was evolving. And Og and Charlie crawled out of the ooze and the slime of the primordial lake from whence sprang the very first of mankind. And age after age, century after century went by. Eon after eon, and nothing happened, except that Og's webbing between his toes got smaller, and Charlie's fin that came out between his shoulder blades began to lose a little of its luster and a little of its color. You know that the, if you look carefully at some people, you can still see vestiges of it. Do you know that I've got a mane... Uh, yeah, oh yeah, I know. I, I can see that other people have evolved. Johnny Carson, for example, has evolved further along the line than I do. I, I, I just know that, that I'm further down the scale of uh, evolution. 
And Charlie and Og sat there for age after age, and occasionally Og would go waddling down to the shore of the lake, and stick his hands down into the water and pull out a couple of clams, and bash them together, <laughs> suck it out. That's one of the basic primordial sounds, you know. Of man. Yeah, have you ever noticed that, uh, that there are two kinds of people, really basically two kinds? Those who like clams and those who don't. Oh, you can judge a lot by a guy whether, whether they like clams or whether they don't because, you see, primitive man lived on clams. It's a very primitive food. The clam comes ready to eat as though the clam himself was placed on earth only as a gift to mankind in his struggle up the ladder. There is no other use for clams. Clams do not till the soil. Do they, they do not work the fields. They do not sing. They do not whistle. They just wait for their moment of destiny, that moment of, of when the two lines of the equation cross, when man meets clam. And, uh, have you ever had the, the vague feeling when you have a plate of clams? You know, you sit there, there's these, these cherry stones. You like clams? Uh-huh, I thought so. <laughs> You're going to be a good engineer. Very few engineers like clams because the clam requires an imagination. Oh, yes. Engineers are hot dog men, meat and potatoes men. Oh, yes. Uh, they, in fact, they say it with pride. Have you ever noticed the guy that'll say it with pride, I'm a meat and potatoes man? Therefore, saying he is no man for the imagination. He sticks to bread and gravy. Uh, on the other hand, there are people who say, Nah, I, I never read. Well, I don't blame you. A lot of bad stuff has been written. A lot of evil ideas. Speaking of evil ideas, this is W.O.R. New York. It's a concept, that's all. It's a silly, sad, ridiculous concept. But after all, in lieu of any other concept, what are we going to do? And there must have been one moment, one moment in time, when Ark and Charlie have no solace at all. The wind howls past them. The screaming winds from out of the north. The trees lean. The lightning comes roaring down. And one day, one day, one moment in time, Og scrunching down on the back of the cave. The weather is so bad he can't go out to eat for months on end because of the screaming tornadoes and the roaring, thundering sirocos that come screaming out of that ancient horizon just beyond the edge of the light. When somehow, by a series of, of uh, accidental things, an ear of corn was left where it got damp, uh, a radish fell from Og's grasp into the damp. The first fermentation took place. The first uh, vintage was being produced when Og took a drink out of the pool and he was knocked on his you-know-what. And ten minutes later, he sculled out, bombed. And the world looks beautiful. <laughs> There must have been the first time the first guy uh, discovered the escape, whatever it was. And now, of course, it's gone into, uh, it's become big business. What do you think entertainment is but escape from reality? A lot of people like to think it's a taste of reality now, but it's really escape. And so hour after hour, we sit and watch shows about Vietnam. It's entertainment. Uh, hour after hour, we watch Bond movies. 
Hour after hour, guys sit in pubs in England and play the accordion and throw darts and write articles about America. <laughs> you know, it's all escape from the whole... There must have been one guy who discovered the principle of escape. And now we've brought it all the way down to it's an exact science. There are thousands of people sitting for miles around me here in New York City trying to figure out various forms of escape that people will find felicitous or will reject. What do you think the Nielsen system is? And uh, today, in fact, did you see, did you see the, uh, there's an ad in the, in the subway. Boy, I, I'll tell you, we let out the truth in a lot of sneaky ways. There's an ad in the subway, and it says, Now, at last, a real reason to hurry home. And it's an ad for a color TV set. That says something about family life, doesn't it? At last, there's a real reason on how to break away and why to break away from the Biltmore Bar in a hurry. Get home to your TV set. Now you can see it in color. Now, uh, does, does junk look any better in color than in black and white? I suspect it's the opposite. A lot of shows look much better in black and white. All of a sudden, you see them in color, and you see it for what it really is, because it's closer to reality. And the minute you see unreality in color, then it becomes total unreality, and you don't accept it at all. You reject it. Uh, by the way, uh, Og, through that long, involved process of uh, creating his escape, finally they hit hit the button, the escape button, please. Miller Highlight Beer. <laughs> Have you ever been rained out at a cookout? Next time it happens to you, just bring the party indoors. Fill their glasses with Miller High Life beer. Get them bagged. And that party will swing from there on out. It won't make any difference if it rains or if it pours out there or if fistfights break out in the bedroom. As long as you have enough Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer, on tap, that party is going to go all the way. So don't worry about the weather. Just be sure you have plenty of Miller High Life on hand in cans or in crystal clear bottles. Big enough, big. That's enough, that's enough. Oh, that's enough. Oh, oh, that's enough. Broden Miller. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee. God, that's a kill it. Kill it, that's enough. That's enough. I got that minute worth there. Crying out loud, Miller Highlight. Speaking of minute worth, we have another commercial here. And I think this commercial requires a certain amount of production. Would you please bring it up there? Magnifico! Yes, friends, the Lake Tarleton Club, sky high in the White Mountains in Pike, New Hampshire, is many things to many people. To some, it's soft lights and sweet music and dancing, galas beneath starlit skies. To others, it's PGA golf and tennis, boating, swimming, water skiing, fishing, or just lounging on the terrace. Yes, and to others, it's some things we can't even talk about on the air. Oh, wow! There it is. Never mind. Lake Tarleton Club is music, dancing, leisure, and pleasure. Home of the famous White Mountain Festival of the Seven Arts. Now in full swing. Tarleton is stage front and center of the world of the theater, the arts, the spoken and written word, the world politic. It goes on and on and on. Please call Walter Jacobs, innkeeper, New York City. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Hold it, hold it. Stop it, Walt. You're killing me. Holy smokes. 
Lake Taunton Club. I'm shaking here. Why, when you get when you get attacked by 17,000 classical pianists led by Van Cliburn wearing that fright wig that he wears, you know you're in trouble. Call Walter Jacobs, innkeeper from New York City. Dial direct 212-227-3464. We repeat, 212-227-3464. Or write Lake Tarleton Club, Pike, New Hampshire. Yes, and so tonight we take this opportunity to salute mankind in his infinite variety. We salute... <laughs> it's sure great to be mankind, isn't it, crowd? I mean, let's face it, we're all in it together. I mean, don't, 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 keep that behind me. It's fantastic. I mean, you've got to accompany mankind with something. I mean, mankind cannot go marching through the corridors of time accompanied by a kazoo. Not at all. And so we take this opportunity as a public service to salute all of us, mankind, in his fantastic struggle to split the scene, to get out of it all. And we salute whoever you are out there lying under the radiator, bombed and sculled, expanding your consciousness, working deeply into the heart of the matter, hoping that by... Bring it up there, big. Yeah! Hey, uh, you know, that gives me an idea. C cut that down there, man. Just, uh, reset that, will you, Raj? Reset that. Just, just reset that. When you get it reset, you give me your little cue in there. Uh, while he's getting that, uh, we have to take care of a little business here, as one of my friends would say. A little business here. A guy heard me the other night talk about uh, Nellie Fox. Uh, Nellie Fox, the ball player, in one of the great moments in television that I saw, Nellie Fox was a was a fantastic tobacco chewer. And uh, you know, you don't hear people don't talk about some of these things that man does. You know, everybody's writing today about drugs, and they're writing today about uh, philosophy, and they're constantly dealing with man's innermost desires to express himself in the midst of an inhuman, vastly expanding, automated society, wherever it might be. But uh, very few people ever talk about the way life really is lived. Like, say, uh, about, have you ever tried chewing tobacco, Roger? How come? I thought you wanted to taste all that life has to offer. <laughs> well, I'm serious, you know. Uh, we're, we're only in this veil of tears for a short time, and there are just so many things available. And yet, uh, most people will, at, at about the age of five, they'll glom on to two or three safe things, like they'll eat canned peas and chopped steak. They discovered at the age of eight, they'll eat that. <laughs> and I'll be damned if they'll eat anything else. And for the rest of their life, until they're 74 years old, they won't try anything else. And uh, let's take uh, other experiences, for example. Uh, the tried and true is the greatest debilitator, the greatest hang-up, that I suspect that the average one of us, and I mean every one of us walking around types, have to fight against. And uh, you have not tried chewing tobacco. Well, let me tell you something about chewing tobacco. I'm a kid, see. I'm going to, uh, for those of you who are squeamish, I'm going to warn you, this is not a story for women and children. It is definitely not a story for, <laughs> I'm a kid, see. And uh, one thing about being a kid, see, is that you have not established all the various rules yet by which you are going to live your life 
or let us say, by which you are going to destroy your life, which is even better, closer to the point. And that you're walking around, you're sweating. Now, from the very earliest days when you're a kid, you are controlled by your old man and by your family. You see, you emulate them for the first couple of years. And so if your mother says, yeesh, every time somebody mentions uh, broiled liver, I wonder how many people today think that they don't like things. They absolutely believe they do not like liver because their mother went, yeeshy, every time it was mentioned. And they've never tried it. I'm just curious how many people today won't do like 27 million things that I can name offhand. Like, say, drive a car at 140 miles an hour on the Jersey Turnpike. you got to try it sometime. I'll tell you, <laughs> I have done it. Yeah? That's right, Dad. Oh, yeah, these, oh, I would not recommend you do something that I haven't already tried beforehand. It cost me $86 going 140 once on the Jersey Turnpike. But it was an exciting experience. It really was. Uh, you know that inner lane where it says the inner lane is for passing only? Boy, uh, I was in this car, in case you're interested in what kind of a car it was. It was a, it was a Porsche Spider. And I just once I said, I'm going to do it. Uh, inner lane says, inner lane for passing? I'm going to pass them. And I laid that Porsche on the inner lane, and I floored it. And within uh, 14 milliseconds, this car was going 141 miles an hour an exciting moment and I and I, I particularly was excited by the fact that as I went screaming down the inner lane you know, wow you know I'm going these people looking out of the windows of their big wallowing barracudas and their big wallowing mustangs looking out with with these white staring eyes it's a bird it's a plane huh well it didn't take long for a lot of blue lights to catch up with me uh, you know the sign that says radar protected they're not kidding they tracked me on the radar. I was flying very low. It was very low angle radar. Now, that was, uh, I won't recommend this to you. I'm just saying I did it. Now, I'll, I'll tell you uh, how, how you grow. You know, you're a kid. You're walking around. Your old man says things like, you'll say something like this. Oh, boy, there's nothing like, uh, uh, nothing like ketchup on, uh, on uh, scrambled eggs. And you're a little kid, so you're two years old, and you hear that ketchup on scrambled eggs and from that day on you're a ketchup on scrambled eggs man until you learn <laughs> the truth you see uh, yes you, some learn the truth some don't uh, uh, there's a lot of people out there now are looking at me and they're saying I can just see them looking at the so well, what's the matter with ketchup on scrambled eggs if you don't know you shouldn't be listening all I gotta say and so uh, and, and now you're you're five you see and uh, you're about to start going to school where you are going to be, you know, there are other influences now going to take uh, part of your life. And uh, that's called expanding your range. Do you ever hear that expression in sociology? It's called expanding your range. That means you're getting around. It's another way of putting it. And so your mother has told you that she doesn't like liver. Your father has said there's nothing like lucky strikes. Okay, now you're a kid. And you, you know, some people believe in brand names the way other people believe in religions. Oh, yeah, there, there are guys who will describe themselves. They'll look you right in the eye and they say, I'm a Pontiac man. What the hell is a Pontiac man? I suppose, uh, <laughs> you know, have you ever heard that, Raj? People say to you, oh, sure, well, you'll be here a little longer. 
you'll find that's the truth. Uh, of course, we know that England doesn't have those problems. Uh, not at all. Not at all. And uh, oh no no I, I I know one guy in England. In fact, I sat there with him, and he terrible. Oh, he he's dressed like a man. Seriously, he's like a man who has stood too long under a pile of burlap sacks. And uh, one day I said to him, I said, Cedric, uh, who is your tailor? I was going to warn him against this tailor, and he looked at me with pride. He says, By God, he says, ah, We've been going to the same tailor, my father and I, since the 1890s. And I could see it was religion with him, his tailor. And like many religions, he was being taken for a row of pins by that particular tailor, just as many of us have been taken down the pike by a very, you know, whatever religion. I wonder how many guys arrive at the pearly gates and discover to their, you know, their disappointment that they have never really sinned. I mean, that must be a terrible disappointment, you know. But nevertheless, I'm, I'm a kid, see, and uh, my old man has... Uh, He's, he's influenced my life strongly, you see, uh, because he's the, he's the grown-up in the family. Then he keeps walking around spitting and polishing the front of the car. And he used to say things like this. He'd sit there and he'd lean back in his chair and he'd say, You know, you know, there's nothing like an Oldsmobile. Well, our family, you know, other families are Baptists. Other families are Methodists. Some are even Jehovah's Witnesses. We were an Oldsmobile family. And, uh, oh yeah. And then, <laughs> then the old man, then the old man would say, he, he would turn and he would say something like this. He'd say, uh, he'd say, uh, I don't see how, I, I can't understand how people can stand fish. He did not eat fish. And so it began to soak down into my mind, in, uh, of course, subliminally. The people don't eat fish. Good people, you see. We're not a fish-eating family. Why, I was, I was probably 21 or 22 years old before I discovered what there was in, in seafood. But nevertheless, I'm this kid, see, and now I'm 16 years old, and I'm beginning to see other, I'm beginning to see things breaking out on all sides of me that had nothing to do with my, my original basic concept of what life is like. And one night, the thing finally happened. Come on, Raj, don't quit looking at the records. Look at me here. I got something to do here. One night, I'm working in a steel mill. See, I'm 16 years old. And uh, I'm about to have one of the great experiences of my, my short time on earth. One of the great moments of my life was about to occur. I'm sitting in this uh, transport truck where they took workers out to the steel mill. They took them out to the open heart, to the blast furnace, to the plate mill, to the sheet mill, to the tin mill. And my family was not a factory family. My old man was what you would call a white-collar worker. Well, now, white-collar workers live a very different life from the laboring man or the blue-collar worker, even including the kind of food they eat. It never occurred to me up to this point, you know. And here I am, I'm a kid, I'm working in a steel mill, and i got a summer job, and I've got my corduroy jacket on, I'm wearing my corduroy hat, I've got my safety shoes. Have you ever put on a pair of safety shoes? That's, uh, that's a peculiar experience when they fit you with safety shoes with a great big steel toe. And uh, they give you a pair of goggles to wear. The place where you're working is so dangerous, so rotten, so crummy, so stinky, that you got to wear iron things over your feet so when stuff falls on it, it won't break your toes entirely off. You know, it'll just bend them a little bit. 
<laughs> you got to wear goggles to keep the air out of your eyes and all. And so I'm sitting there wearing my tin. They gave me a tin hat, you know, a helmet. And I've been working the steel mill now for about four or five weeks. And I'm not, I'm not quite part of it. I'm not quite making it. I, I'm hanging around in this laboring gang, and I'm just sort of tolerated. Have you ever been with a bunch of real laborers? You ever really worked in a laboring gang? Not there to get material for a sketch. You know, I mean, you're working there. And on all sides of me, in the darkness that night, there are these working men. I mean, guys that spent 40 years working on the, on the laboring force of the, of the steel mill. Bohunks, they call themselves. Uh, Bohemians, uh, Lithuanians. There were about my, oh, I'd say about three quarters of them were Poles and Hungarians. We're sitting there and we're riding in the nighttime. And uh, we came to the gate of the steel mill. And everybody's got his lunch bucket. All these tough, hardened men are all around me. And we start going through the clock house. And there, standing at the gate of the clock house, was a guy who was about to give me one of the great, one of the great experiences of my life. I did not realize it at the time. Thirty seconds after I started, I knew. But before that, no. You never know when the, when the plaster's gonna fall off the ceiling and belt you behind the back of the ear. You just don't know it. You think you do. But uh, that's called the random factor. And I'm sitting in the, it is called the random factor. And uh, I'm sitting in this truck, and we all get out. And I see this guy, and he's got a big case, and it's hanging down in front of him, and it's got a little, little uh, strap around his neck, and he's handing out samples of something. And he's handing one to each guy that goes into the steel mill. And uh, of course, I'm always one for a free sample. I'm 16 years old, and, and the, he shoves one of them into my hand, and I look at it, and it's a little paper-covered package, and it's covered with wax paper on the outside, and it's a little package about the size of a cigarette package, really. And he sticks it in my hand. He says, here, have one, buddy. And I take it, and I put it in my hand, and now I'm sitting in the bus. We're going, heading towards the steel, uh, towards the open heart. I, that night I was working on the open heart labor force. You've always heard about the open heart. Well, let me tell you, this is a world for men. Uh, this is not for women and children. This is not for the weak need. And we're sitting in the bus now, and each one of us has a little package of the sample. And I see what it is. It's mail pouch chewing tobacco. We have each been given a free sample. The guy sitting next to me, he looked like he made Victor McLaughlin look like Mickey Mouse. This guy was six feet four. He weighed 297 pounds, and he was solid gristle. So, and you know, he's, a, he's one of my his stash. And uh, Stosh tears the top of this 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 uh, chewing tobacco, his little package. He tears the top off, and he takes the tobacco. He takes the box, and he shoves the tobacco in his mouth. He sticks it back there around his tonsils, and he looks at me, and he says, Just try it. It's good. Well, i got to be one of the boys. To be in is very important. I wonder how many guys are pretending out there in the dark tonight that they like pot. And every night they go home and they're sick all over the front room and the whole scene, you know, just because, you know, the crowd is doing it. I wonder how many guys are, are getting the screaming memes and trying to pretend that they liked the trip that they took on LSD last week and all they did was swing from the chandeliers and blow their skull and, <laughs> you know, the whole scene. <laughs> but they got to pretend you like it. I wonder how many people are going to discotheques right now and pretending they dig it. 
I know that I did that, and I know that I was sitting... I want to tell you a little, a little inside story. I was sitting with one of the Beatles one night in a famous discotheque in London. Yeah. And he turned to me. We're both sitting up next to the wall. And he turned to me, and he says, What a drag. <laughs> he says, What a drag. And I says, Well, you know, this is supposed to be your scene. He says, Ah, it's all showbiz. He says, You've got to do these things. He couldn't stand being at this joint. He hated it. And yet it was written up just the week before in Vogue magazine that this is where he spent most of his off hours. A drag is the way he put it. So I wonder whether I, I suspect that mankind 99.9% .9 of the time pretends to an attitude that he doesn't have. How many times have you gone to a, a very official show and you were bored out of your skull after the third scene? And you knew it was good. It had to be good. Walter Kerr said it was good. Listen, I one time saw the worst production I ever saw in my life of As You Like It, starring John Gielgud. It was so bad I couldn't believe it. And uh, I thought at first, you know, it was me. It was I, I was failing. And then I began to ask friends of mine, what did you, th come on, seriously, what did you think? One guy admitted that at the end of the first act, he rushed across the street, had five double bourbons, and ten minutes later he found himself in this joint over on 10th Avenue having a fist fight. He never did get back to find out what happened to the Count or the Duke or the Lord. <laughs> and so, uh, that's all right, hon, don't, don't worry about it. And as we, as we wander through, we, we pretend these things, see. We pretend we like stuff. Uh, I, oh, yeah, I, I wonder how many people are pretending right at this minute uh, uh, that, that they're looking forward to the weekend visiting Aunt Min. And Aunt Min is pretending that she wants them there. It's a two-way scene. You know, we're all in it together. And so I'm sitting there, see, and this guy says, I'll try it, try it. So I take this, this piece, this little piece of American commercial stuff, this little package of mail pouch, and I tore off the top of it. And I, in, the, in, in full sight of all my fellow workers whom I wanted to be in with more than anything else. I was 16 years old. I wanted to be called a lefty or Big Slim or Little Shorty or something like that. They, all, up to this point, they didn't even call me anything. Once in a while, somebody holler, Hey, get out of the way! That's all they ever said to me. And so I took that entire package, which I had seen Stash do, and I stuck this big handful of chewing tobacco in my trap. Well, there was a delayed action, like most bombs. It takes a certain length of time for the fuse to go off. Well, I stuck a, a handful of this mail pouch back around somewhere about my left molar, and I sat for a second, and all of a sudden, oh, 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 molten lava. I, I want to tell you, molten lava. Molten lava poured through my brain in a great, fantastic pouring surge, and it lay there for about 30 seconds and cooked, when all of a sudden, I, I can't go any further because uh, the power of suggestion. All I want to tell you is, friends, three days before that, I had had a can of tomato soup and a, an American cheese sandwich for lunch. That came up. Uh, a Thanksgiving dinner that I had even forgotten that I had at the age of seven. Was st it came up, I'm telling you. And all of these guys sat around there, stashed, looked at me, said, what's the matter, kid? So what's the matter, kid? And it was then that I knew that the world was full of a number of things that I had not yet tried. 
But out there in the darkness, friend, wouldn't you like to be the first in your block to discover and invent a new sin? One that man has not even discovered yet at all. Oh, keep them loose, man. It's all wide open.